filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster survived florida uh, you'd be surprised i was unable to find a scouting director in pensacola beach florida for for the podcast um i'll have to take another vacation to some sunny location in the future what i did find however and and my daughter what she found is a rainbow that changed her freaking life i'm not even kidding it, it, i don't know like she saw this rainbow and her eyes opened and she was just obsessed with this rainbow. Granted, it was a brilliant rainbow. I mean that in not the British way, but in the actual, it, it, it looked like it was shining, not just a, a rainbow. Briant that's rainbow? Out there. No, not a brilliant rainbow. Cause this was good. Uh, <laughs> it, it looked like it, it was, it, it looked like it was shining. It was unlike it was, it was probably the brightest rainbow I have ever seen. And, and my kid, it was so a it shining was star. To, no, it was a shining rainbow. Ben, pay attention. No my matter who you are. Out, my kid goes out in the backyard of the beach house that we, we rented and is just like staring at it and yelling at everyone to come outside and, and see it it's shining bright to see. Doesn't let me take pictures. And she like posed for pictures with the rainbow because she wanted this rainbow in her life. And then that night she put herself to bed, which she never does. So I feel like this rainbow was, was life changing in a major way. Um, I, I do kind of wish the world cup games had been on at night so that after she did put herself to bed, I could watch them instead of trying to sneak a, a couple minutes here and there during uh, regular daytime vacation activities. But yeah, say lovey. Do you think Earth, Wind, Wind and Fire would have provided a better uh, soundtrack to that than what you had? No, I, I think my in my my memory of it is perfect, um, unaugmented okay. by music. I feel like maybe Earth, Wind and Fire could contribute to Argentina's ouster from the World Cup or Germany's. I mean, they talk more about September. And the 21st day thereof. But. Ben, I keep trying yeah, to set all... you up for the thing you said you wanted to talk about. I know, but I... we started the show and you keep not doing it. So I'm just going to break right. down all pretenses now. Right. But I was, I was setting you back up for what you wanted to talk about. And I, no, uh, I, was... I, fa- I found, I found that I didn't want to talk about it anymore. I just guys, wanted to make guys, I, I've, fire realized, jokes. I've realized something. You guys are Spain. You we need really are. Ah, shit, we are Spain. Yeah. <laughs> you need somebody to shoot the ball. We've had eleven we've had eleven hundred yeah. earth, wind, and fire passes and no shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you notice that I'm not shooting either. Uh, no, no I'm pointing out what you've done wrong, but I'm not actually gonna fix the problem. Adam Adam, can we now go to can we now Belgium Japan this instead of Spain Russiaing this? Uh, 
Does that mean I should start the damn show? Yeah, I think so. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, uh, I guess, and life-changing rainbow podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined uh, back in the saddle, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United and soccer in general. It's all DC United all the time. Tonight, we have a disappointing loss to talk about, which is a familiar feeling. Uh, We also have a game to preview for uh, this week, midweek, Wednesday night, 4th of July, out in Los Angeles, well, the suburbs of Los Angeles. And we have a big signing to talk about that we're going to break our usual format and dedicate basically a whole segment to. Uh, if you don't know what that signing is, stay tuned. You're you're in for, for some big news that you've managed where, to avoid. Where have for you been, Laura, Laura? Let us yeah. know. If you don't know what we're going to talk about uh, and later you figure it out, um, let us know where you've been that you missed out. What's Pause going the show. On. Pause the show right now if you don't know what we're referring to. Email us, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com or write a letter, uh, address it to filibusterpodcast Washington, D.C. and just see what happens. I think it might Somehow it would get to us. I don't know. Send it to Audi Field. You probably haven't heard of that either. Uh, <laughs> before we get to anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I probably should just be drinking uh, water because I spent a lot of time uh, out and about today uh, due to a press conference that was held in downtown D.C. that we'll probably discuss later. Um, and it, prof- it just it completely cooked me from the inside and out. Uh, so I should be doing that, but instead I'm having, uh, I went to, uh, Gordon Biersch and got some of their summer brawl in a growler and, uh, I have that. It's good. (laughs) I am drinking, uh, some, some cheap grocery store wine from California. It's a Pinot Noir, uh, specifically what Pinot Noir caviar. No, just Pinot Noir. Uh, I, I would not trust grocery store caviar. Not have that I'm not, a huge fan of. Have you not I, watched Kimmy Schmidt? I have. Okay. Um, I that it took me a minute to to remember that. That's uh, that's spelled a little differently, I think, than than this kind of Pinot Noir. Uh, I'm drinking the wine, not what Titus. Andromedon is into. But I mean, uh, homophones are fun. It's true. It is true. Um, and at one point this past week, during when, when the sun was starting to set, I did yell, Golden Hour! in the voice of Titus. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is the same episode. Uh, it's, it's Charles Shaw. It's from Trader Joe's. It's, it's cheap Pinot that is Chuck. decent for the price. Yeah. Uh, it's actually Shaw. It's not the usual. It's a different, more modern kind of label than Three Buck Chuck usually is. Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, it is summertime in the city. It is disgustingly hot in many cities, including Richmond and uh, D.C. And I stained our deck this weekend with the help of my lovely wife. And so to reward ourselves, we just drank rum the rest of Sunday. And so I am drinking a uh, pina colada uh, because I deserve it. <laughs> Treat yourself. Yeah. Uh, do you like pina coladas? Yeah, they're pretty good. I mean, you Getting can't go wrong with uh, 
I don't like getting caught in the rain. I like I do like a drink that is rum and pineapple and coconut, but you know, teach his own. I, well, I mean, we could we could go dive deep into my rain preferences, but I think we should just talk about DC United instead. Then let's do that. DC United came from behind twice in New England on Saturday. <laughs> Couldn't do it a third time, falling to the Revolution three to two. Individual individual mistakes uh, are are the big story from this one. Probably none bigger than Frederick Briant's mistake on Teal Bunbury's first goal. Uh, is a long free kick in from New England's own half, and Briant managed to get sucked up and on the wrong side of Bunbury, uh, and jumped and missed the ball completely. And Bunbury was in behind suddenly for a, a tap in that he put right around uh, David Osted for the, the second goal for new England to put them ahead. Uh, what was Briant possibly thinking? Yeah, I think you've got the goals um, mixed up because the uh, Bunbury goal is a, uh, was the counter, not the long ball. Really? What? The, the Bunbury goal came after the corner kick. Uh, D- okay. Or You're right. Uh, after um, DC's free kick, I mean, not a corner. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Christian Pania's goal was the long ball that uh, Briant okay. misread. All right, my mistake. My mistake. I wrote it down wrong. Um, so Pania's goal, uh, which makes it even more confusing that Briant got put in the, put himself into that situation. What was he possibly thinking or trying to do he he managed to put his man goal side and also miss the ball at the same time i mean i think it's a symptom of what he's been doing for the past couple of weeks is he tries to mark space and he leaves people in front of him to run onto goals for free uh he dropped so far deep that uh pania had space uh, in the middle of the 18 to collect the ball and shoot uncontested because Frederick Beyond uh, dropped into the six because he was so worried about, I don't know specifically what, because other people had the runs in the six covered. So I think he's dropping too far deep and just marking a piece of land and not worrying about the people who are actually there running onto the balls that he's missing. Uh, yeah, so something's been off uh, about Briant lately. I think his form is starting to drop. He's he's just he's starting to read plays in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think maybe it's a confidence thing. Um, maybe he's in in his own head a little bit. Um, it, but in any case, you know, the last thing DC needed that and you know that early in the game, the 18th minute, where the Revs had started to you know. I, I thought they controlled the first 10 minutes. DC had just started to come out of that a little bit. And then uh, you get the goal. Um, and it's just, it's, it, it's frustrating to watch because we keep, we keep talking about individual errors and we keep, um, it, you know, for a while it was the fullbacks every week. And now it's starting to creep into Briant and, you're not going to win any games, especially on the road. You're not going to win any games if you've just got defenders giving up goals all the time. And and the fact that it's spreading rather than re- receding it has me worried now about Steve Birnbaum. 
um, rather than it that, like how many we- I wanted to be worried about how many weeks is it going to be before this problem gets, you know, goes away. And instead, it's like, where else is this problem going to crop up now? feels like cancer in that way it's it's spreading and we're not controlling it um there was a mistake at the the other end of the field on on that counter goal that that jason mentioned uh yamil Assad did have a brace in this game but that that goal and that counter attack which it was a very good counter attack um sprung by a long ball from the keeper the keeper had the ball with everyone pushed forward because yamil Assad's service jason um was bad yeah i mean he hung the he hung the ball up um to the back post and it's not just the free kick but it starts with the free kick um i thought assad had some problem with his service for for a while it took him a while to put the ball in the spots that were useful um and in this case he hung the ball up. It went over the crowd, so um, no one could do anything about attacking it. And also, because it went over the crowd, no one could really get in Matt Turner's way. Um, there's actually a pretty good video that uh, MLS Soccer put out with, um, I believe it was Bobby Warshaw and Stephen Keel uh, talking about this goal from two angles. And the first angle they cover is um, the fact that the Revs seem ready for this, um, ready for the quick breakout to work. And so Turner goes and grabs the ball. No one interferes with Turner uh, who, as soon as he's on the ground, he's running forward to do the drop kick uh, to get the ball upfield quickly. Um, And what's vital here is it's not just him reacting quickly. It's uh, Bunbury was in the box defending. Fagundes was on the edge of the area um, uh, helping. I I believe he might've even been in, in, maybe the one man wall. I'm not the, the replay. I've actually got it up, but the replay doesn't go far enough back to show where he was, but he was back there as well. Um, but those three players are all tuned in and focused on what's going on and and the opportunity that's open for them. And as soon as Turner takes off uh, to, to play his punt, he's cutting out Steve Birnbaum. He's cutting out uh, Frederick Briant, Ian Harks, uh, Lucho Acosta gets cut out. Um, Assad is out of the play. Um, Assad, I think, realizes as soon as the punt is away um, that DC is in trouble because all of a sudden that punt turns it into a three on three. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that lack of alertness that that certainly um, United paid for, because normally if a goalkeeper is trying to play quickly, you get in his way um, because you're not you're probably unless you block a punt, you're probably not going to get a card. Um, you'll just get called for a foul and the referee will be like, you can't do that. And, and that's the end of it. And you don't give up a goal. You just give up a free kick in the other team's um, own box, which is fine. Um, but instead, United's not ready. And to compound matters, their defensive positioning isn't very good on the punt itself. Um, instead of having one in front and one in back, they've got one behind and then one off to the side. Um And they just, as soon as the punt is away and it lands at the foot of um, whoever it is that made the first touch, I think it's um, Namath, they're in deep, deep trouble. And, you know, I'll give the Revs some credit for not botching it, but um, it's not, it's not a good team play. Um, Ian Harks actually almost caught up with um, Bunbury's run. Um, He just couldn't quite get there in time because he had to cover the entire field. Um, 
And for the rest of the group, it's just not, it's not enough. Um, and it's that little, it's, it's sort of like uh, the previous game where you've got a, a small mistake or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of, I've got so many games in my head. Um, the spirit made a mistake recently where they made a mistake <laughs> at midfield and Orlando scored a goal on a shot from midfield. Um, and you think on one hand, you know, it's a well-executed play good for them. But on the other hand, these little mistakes um, keep piling up and it's not just, you know, it's not just bad luck that these little mistakes keep becoming uh, having big consequences. It's not just that it's that um, the revs knew that this was going to be there. They knew that, um, they scouted this and, and said, Hey, I don't think DC transitions back from set pieces very well. So if we get a ball that hangs up and, you know, if Matt Turner, if you catch the ball cleanly, get the ball forward as fast as possible. And it's also worth noting that the revs had three people staying up field, um, from this free kick, or I'm sorry, they had two staying up field and Fagundes joined them. Um, normally teams only leave one man up and the revs left two. And I think, it's because they saw that this was a weak point with DC and they took advantage of it. So, you know, that's good coaching on their part. Um, and the, the defensive transition play still clearly needs a ton of work for DC. And it's, uh, you know, if it's something that doesn't clear up, there's no, you know, you can't improve it just with signings. This is something that has to improve in training and, and uh, through study and through, you know, players doing their jobs. It's all of it. And this is kind of symptomatic of all of those little problems. Well, I was going to bring this up at the end of the segment, but I think you teed it up pretty well here um, on, on Twitter talking about this game. Um, the individual errors came up there as well. And uh, Mark Rickling, whose Twitter handle escapes me at the moment, um, brought up, uh, he's a reader of the site, listener to the podcast. He, he brought up the, the notion that maybe it's not just the players. Maybe when you have that many individual errors, it is a sy- systemic thing that you can trace back to the coaches. So, so let's talk about Ben Olson in, in this one. What role does he play in the fact that there are all these individual errors at, at some point, these are professional players. They have to step up, but if the coach may, is it possible Ben Olsen is, isn't putting them in the best position or, or setting them up to, to have these individual errors? Well, one thing I would offer up um, at this point that he is in control of is uh, when players make mistakes, there, there are consequences uh, to their spot in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just, I mean, granted there have been a ton of injuries lately and there, you know, the back four in this game was the only, they were the only four defenders uh, available. Um, so to a certain extent, it's hard to say like, Oh, we'll just drop a defender and replace him with somebody else because for this game at least. And, and I assume, you know, Joseph Mora, it looks like through social media did make the trip to LA. Um, but is he actually healthy enough to play? Uh, it's probably down to like a, I would imagine there'd be a, um, a pregame fitness test for that. Um, but at a certain point, you do need to start wherever possible uh, offering up the consequence of if you're making these big mistakes that cost the team, maybe you need to be dropped for maybe just for a game as a you know, as a shock to the system and say, like, hey, get it together. Um, and then you, you know, see if the response is correct. And then if the response is correct in training, then you restore the player 
or straight up, you know, we're going to make a change with the lineup going forward. And, and for the time being, someone else is going to start. I know Ben uh, has an idea of a player that he would like uh, dropped and a player he would like promoted to a starting role. Sure do. Um, I'm going <laughs> to, before I get into that, the specifics, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just go on a little bit of a talk about how I feel like this ben is Olsen, Spain all over again. <laughs> yes. Uh, I feel like Ben Olsen used to drop players if they weren't performing in games and they weren't performing in practices. And I don't think he does that anymore. I think the past year and a half, two years, he doesn't drop Bill Hamid. He doesn't drop Andy Nahars anymore. Uh, he doesn't do it. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's different, but he's been, I feel like he's been much more, uh, uh, much more willing to start the people he thinks are worth it and not worrying about what their performances are and just letting that roll. And the Ben Olsen of uh, 2012, 2014, 2015, it, it it's changed now when he doesn't drop players based on their performance anymore. Uh, specifically, I, I want to see... Is, I, I do think ahead. some of that is depth. Though right now, like Jason said, on the back line, there's there's not a lot of uh, there's so many injuries right now on the back line. Sure, but and, and part of it is also that Ben Olson, I think, now has a more confident view of his evaluation of players. Whereas but, before, okay, but I think that's my, wrong. My, my, yeah, I, I think you're you're right. I think that I think some of it is probably that that Olson has a clearer hierarchy. Uh, a clearer depth chart in his mind. And um, there, there's less interchanging. I think he should be more flexible probably at least when people are healthy. Uh, but right now that's, you know, we're not all healthy. <laughs> well, for sure. But if, if that's what he believes, I think he's wrong because even before uh, everyone was hurt, there was a long stretch of time where Jalen Robinson was healthy and Joseph Mora was healthy and O'Neill Fisher was healthy and Frederick Briant was healthy. And at this point, Frederick Briant isn't working. So Jalen Robinson deserves some time to start over Frederick Briant. It's, it's not that Frederick Briant has such a good pedigree that he just should uh, pave everybody else's, uh, uh, cases over himself. He's an MLS. He's been a good MLS starter, but he's not a, an excellent MLS starter. He doesn't, he, he can't just like bulldoze everybody else's uh, standings. And right. I, I think at this point, Ben Olsen may have a blind spot where Jalen Robinson is concerned. And Jalen Robinson has had some bad games, but he's had some really good games and mm-hmm. he's never gotten any chances. What like a, a sustained chance when, Everybody who Ben Olsen wanted uh, has been healthy. So I think, I think at this point, point. Until, until they sign a DTAM or regular TAM level player, Jalen Robinson deserves a chance. Well, and this is more theoretical, um, in my opinion. Um, I do wonder uh, what caused that, that change in uh, approach. I know this season I got... I have to believe this season part of it is just that there are so many new pieces in place that um, this is the only way that they're going to start to fit together is getting those minutes. Um, And so I think on some level, the idea is choosing building that familiarity over the prospect of the 
um, punishment drop or the even the acknowledge that that it's not working drop um, because you know United hasn't played all that many games um, and so that's I think that is part of it but I think theoretically um, something might have happened along the way where dropping players had, was a it had too many consequences behind the scenes and it became a thing where it was like, I don't think this is the way to motivate guys because you're, you guys are right. He did used to um, drop players a little more often um, over or mistakes or poor form or whatever. Um, and I, I think over time, maybe the sh- there's been a shift in the locker room towards motivating the group in a different way. Um, maybe with this group, he feels like motivating them in a positive way rather than a negative way is, is more helpful. Um, I don't know. It would, it would be nice to um, hear about, you know, his approach from that, that angle, you know, to, to figure out what the mindset is. Um, But, you know, for the time being, the team remains really, really, really frustrating because, you know, as much as these errors are kind of taking up this whole segment, uh, I feel like outside of those errors, DC was the better team in this game. Um, I feel yeah, like the, they the expected goals bear that out too, which is makes the individual errors all the more frustrating. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, they did get lucky on one of Assad's goals because it, it's a free kick from Zoltan that clips his head and goes the, the opposite way. Um, but this team hasn't gotten that much luck this season. Um, and then of course uh, the bill came due for that luck. Not, you know, a little while later when we get the, uh, the revs penalty uh, call that, uh, is uh, dubious. Uh, I think is putting it extraordinarily kindly. Um, to be more that is the worst penalty call I have ever seen. Before, ever. I mean, I've seen. I think worse. that's overstating it. But before uh, we get to that, ben, no, it's not. It's not. But you, you don't. You don't know my viewing history. That is the worst penalty call I have <laughs> ever seen. Did you watch Rodney Wallace's penalty against the LA Galaxy? <laughs> I think that was a no. year before Ben's time. Well, damn. I think Ben's given us his, his history. I think that one came one year too early. I came, I came to DC United in 2010, the greatest season that DC United right. ever... Uh, <laughs> and you stuck around. Um, I did. I sure on, did. Um, before we get into that penalty, which we are going to talk about, uh, Ben, Jason set you up to talk about someone you'd like to see dropped. I mean, I already talked about it. Yeah, yeah, I got into that. I I, I want to see Jalen Robinson over Frederick Beyond. That's what I want to see. I mean, if if Kofi... Now! Who plays right back? Whenever there is a... The Galaxy. Whenever there is a fullback who is available, I want to see Jalen Robinson in central central defense. So, yes, if Joseph Mora and O'Neal Fisher are healthy, I want to see Jalen Robinson. Um... Because, I mean, those are the only options at this point. I mean, if Nick DeLeon magically gets healthy, yes, throw him in there. He's better than Joseph Moore or O'Neal Fisher. Um, and it, if Kofi Opari were healthy, I'd want to see him too. But I, it's it's so bad that something needs to change. I think that uh, uh, Steve Birnbaum is a good center back. I think he's not a good lead center back. I think he needs somebody to take take the initiative over him and he can just react to everything and he's really great at that. And I think 
Maybe uh, Jalen Robinson can do it. Maybe Kofi Alpare can do it. So far this season, we haven't seen any evidence that Frederick Briant can do it. So if Joseph Mora can play this weekend, if he can start, uh, then put Jalen Robinson in there. So Alan Chapman, the referee this weekend, had himself an interesting outing. Um, he awarded a, a, a foul at the near the top of uh, the box or just off center from the top of the box when Luciano Acosta, Luciano Acosta got slapped in the face a little bit. Nominally, allegedly, supposedly, hands to the face is a red card offense in MLS this year. It's supposed to be a point of emphasis. Uh, the referee saw the play well enough to award a free kick, but not well enough to award a card. The VAR didn't get involved. I don't remember the ref checking his headset after that one. Um, and then the, the on this penalty, um, the Revs player, uh, Andrew Farrell, gets in the box, gets on the ball against O'Neill Fisher, and, and just gets into kind of a wrestling match with him, runs into him, actually tries to do a windmill move and pushes his head pushes O'Neill Fisher's head down, which makes O'Neill Fisher fall. And in his falling, uh, he falls into Andrew Farrell and the referee awards a penalty because reasons. Um, and obviously the refs broadcast saw it as a clear penalty. I, I uh, well, don't agree. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul Mariner. Good has, luck like I said, this is the worst penalty call I've ever seen. Tell us. He got that, shoved. Man. Andrew Farrell shoved him down into his into his uh, into his uh, range of motion, and then happened to trip over him. He he caused that upon himself. You can't you can't shove somebody down into your path of motion and then trip over him and claim that you got a penalty. Except that Alan Chapman will absolutely let you do that. Well, yeah, because Alan Chapman is a bad referee. <laughs> I feel like I should have his. Uh, pro uh photo up here so i can comment on his appearance as well i think uh, he has i think he has okay hair he's just bad at soccer he has no hair um <laughs> uh, and that's yeah. what's okay about it uh yeah the the missing missing the potential red card for the um the shot on acosta in a league yeah, where that too. Uh, Kelvin Leardam got a red card for gently placing his hand on someone's face. Um, and you're going to do a lot less damage doing that than what happened to Acosta who got popped in the mouth. Um, and when, you know, that got missed, he got a view of it. He called a foul, um, yeah. which means he saw what happened. Um, yeah. On, there were, on the difference between those plays, I, my guess to the extent that there is a reasonable explanation my my guess is that the league wants to focus on intentional hands to the face. My only explanation for why Chapman didn't give a rule. red in this situation is that it was incidental, which makes it, I, yeah, it's not the rule, but referees read a lot into the rules. The referees read intent when there's not an intent. I don't believe it was incidental. I believe it was careless. And I think he didn't care what his hands did. And that's a lot different than incidental. 
Yeah, that's that's a completely fair reading. I, right. I agree. I think it should have been a red. I'm trying to figure out why yeah. Chapman didn't beyond the fact that he made a bad decision. I want to understand what his decision might have been. And my guess is if you gently place your hands on someone's face, I think the league is treating that as instigation. And that's why they're giving a red card for that. Uh, and, and also to take away the referee's discretion of having to read intent, which... Alan Chapman completely disregards by not giving a red card here. And the, the other thing here is that we're talking about a play where this isn't a stray arm that flies back and hits somebody out of, um, I, I actually maybe have a more, um, uh, a more extreme reading of it, uh, than Ben. Cause I, I think he, I think Luis Caicedo knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to throw his arm I, in front of a yes. to stop him from running and the fact that it's, you know, his arm hit Acosta in the face, um, you know, you can't clothesline people. Um, though, again, this is a league where Sestinovich, uh barely ever gets a uh, card uh, for clotheslining people on a game-to-game basis. Um, so maybe clotheslining is actually legal and there's a loophole that we haven't been told about. But, uh, you know, it's not just I, – I don't want us to come across as whining about the refs because Chapman was bad for everybody in this game. Yeah. Um, I'm going oh, through yeah. and reading I'm, – I'm reading our tweets from the game um, as, as they were happening, and maybe a few – you know, five minutes before um, Chapman gave Caicedo only a yellow for this, um, there was also that play where um, Maddox and Delameo were chasing down a loose ball, and Maddox – just shoulder checked De La Maya in the back out of the way. And there was no call whatsoever made and DC got a corner out of it. And I think even Maddox was like, really, that was allowed. Cool. Um, because it was just, you know, it was a very transparently illegal play. It wasn't, he didn't deserve a card, but it was clear as day that he committed a foul and it just didn't get called. And it's, you know, the whole game was kind of like this, like the, the, the penalty call uh, was obviously a joke. Um, you know, Farrell commits a foul and then falls over as a result of his own foul. It's not, um, it's not even complicated. This wasn't even a complicated call. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand just, why VAR wasn't involved in this play. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really good question. Can I just jump in about uh, Chapman in general? Sure. DC United didn't, DC United should not have won this game. It's, it, Chapman didn't steal this game from DC United based on his calls, but Chapman's calls did steal steal a point from DC United. They should have been able to tie this game based on their uh, based on their play in this game. That that that's my main point. I'm not trying to say that DC United deserved to win this game based on the the level of play they had. They didn't. They they sucked. Uh, they deserve the, the first two goals. They deserve to give up. Chapman had nothing well, to do with those first two goals, but that last goal, the penalty call, was Alan Chapman making a decision and screwing DC United over. I mean, it. I, I certainly I don't want to say that DC deserved to win the game because when you make the mistakes that they made on the first two goals, uh, you it, the only way you deserve to win a game at that point is if you score four. Um, and they didn't right. score four. So, um, but it, it makes it that much more frustrating when it's like, okay, yes, uh, our team made these big mistakes and that's bad, but also, um, 
you know, some someone that we should be counting on to um, make sure that the rules of the game are, are enforced is just doing such a bad job. And yeah. I, I mean, I think if you asked around and, you know, I almost think that maybe we should ask around um, if you ask the site, the other uh, folks that write for the other SB Nation sites who they think the worst referee is, I think Alan Chapman comes up a lot. Um, and yeah. I, I wonder why is he getting and, you know, you've got two teams that have a long history against each other two teams that play fast paced transition soccer. Um, the revs are known for being very physical. It's a big point of emphasis for Brad Friedel's teams. And it's also, uh, it's an, it's a conference matchup. So it's vital. You know, these are three very important points for DC. Um, I think it's fair to say now that the revs are on 27 points and DC is on 10. I don't think DC is at any point going to catch up to the revs. Now. I think they are out of touch. Um, why is a referee of that quality getting a game of this level of importance? Because if you look at the schedule, you can see which games are more important to both teams and less. If this were like Wednesday's game, if this is DC at LA, it's not as consequential towards the playoffs. The your your interconference matchups are by definition more important to you than your your out of conference games. Um, why not give the conference matchups to the highest rated referees? and give the you know east versus west games give them to the guys that aren't very good and uh, assuming and i'm making an assumption here my assumption is that alan chapman isn't a highly rated rated referee because that's also possible yeah which right. is we don't know how pros huh. actual ratings work and and it does hurt at this particular moment that two of uh pros in in theory highest rated refs are in russia right now I don't know that anybody misses Mark Geiger in MLS right now, though. He, but he's he, better than he Alan Chapman. No, he's moment. better than Alan Chapman. Yes, that's true. But I don't know that his being here would have prevented Alan Chapman from getting a game. In the end, I think it goes back to DC United needs to not put themselves in a position to let the referee decide the game, which is what they did. Sure. If DC and, United and, doesn't make those yes. mistakes, then Alan Chapman doesn't matter. Right, you know, he can still give the Revs a stupid penalty, and it, they could win two one instead of two nothing. Right um, at the end of the day, Alan Chapman was horrible, but yeah, it didn't it didn't change the it it, it at the most it changed it from zero points to one point. It did not. It definitely did not change it between three points and one point. It, his mistakes were no more egregious than United's mistakes on the, the two other goals. And yes. All three goals makes, against United were the result of individual mistakes. DC United players made mistakes. Yeah. Alan Chapman made a mistake. Um, yeah. And it's a shame because they, you know, they waste a pretty good. I mean, Maddox didn't score, but I thought Maddox had a really good game. Maddox um, was great. That, I mean, well, I, I, I'm, I'm being a little yeah. scrolling, but Maddox was very good. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think we did him a disservice tonight because he yeah. he was I think Jason the word you used was relentless. Yeah, that was bad. Um, oh, that was bad. Sorry. Me. Yeah. Um, uh, he was he was working all over. You can tell that there might be a, a signing coming in at the opening of the transfer window that he's fighting for his job right now. Yeah, um, but you know this is how you do it. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So so are all the attacking midfielders. Um, you know, we're, and he performed about, better than most of the rest of the attacking midfield. When we talk about Maddox, um, we've been, you know, it comes up a lot that he's scoring at a higher strike rate than, than he ever has before. 
Um, you know, he's already on seven goals, which is his, his career high for a season. And he's there in less than half a season. Um, but I also, you know, it, it kind of occurred to me earlier today. He's also won both of DC United's penalties um, this season. Um, and he's just generally been a problem for defenses. Teams don't really know what to do about him. He He's become not just a one-dimensional player. He's not just a guy that's fast and that's it. Um, he's beating guys on the dribble. Uh, he's combining, you know, he's dropping off the front line to combine and then get in. Um, he's not, he isn't just a, a club for a certain, you know, he's not a sand wedge, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, he's doing it, uh, in all sorts of different ways. And he's been, I mean, it's hard to see a, a argument that he deserves to not be a starter. Um, even with Wayne Rooney coming in. Um, and so we might be looking, I apparently, you know, I'm getting, getting ahead of it, but, um, that conversation of, of Rooney's position that's already been discussed um, with him and Ben Olsen. So, it, you know, at least there's that they come in with a clear idea, but if I'm Darren Maddox and that idea is we're going to keep playing the same formation, but Rooney's the forward instead of you, um, I'm, I would be pretty upset about that. And I, I'll give the guy credit because the way he played in this game is exactly how you make your argument for staying in the lineup. And we'll see if he stays in the lineup on Wednesday night. Um, fireworks are on tap. Get it? Because it's on the 4th of July. Uh, hashtag DC United After Dark from Carson, California. The Black and Red uh, will visit the LA Galaxy Wednesday night, 10.30 p.m. News Channel 8 and ESPN Plus or your local Sinclair station. Uh, big question everyone's wondering after this. How does LeBron fit into this matchup? This is not my area of expertise. No, I know. None of us are big NBA guys, but I figured if we throw King James's name out there, somehow that will result in, I don't even know. I don't know. Um, He just signed with the Lakers for anyone who, for for you person who didn't know about Wayne Rooney, who's been living under a rock, uh, LeBron signed with the Lakers. That's a thing that happened. Uh, The Lakers, of course, being an NBA team based in Los Angeles, Hence the and now we've talked too to much the, about them. <laughs> the LA Galaxy are, uh, they were hot flaming garbage early in the year. Um, but they are unbeaten in their last three and they've won three of their last six. Jason, are they still trash? Uh, <laughs> I'm setting a very they- low bar for Ziggy Schmidt's club here. I don't know if they're still trash because they they do have they've started to get some results, but they've mostly been getting those results against lesser teams. They beat Montreal, they beat the San Jose Earthquakes, um, they beat RSL on a very bad night for RSL. Um, those are those wins. The, the three wins. Those are, those are the wins. Um, this is also a team that has their last four losses. I'm looking at right now are all by the score line of three two. Um, so they've been able to score goals. Um, their last game is a three, three draw against San Jose again. Um, so they're picking up a lot of points against the quakes. It must be nice to get to play those guys a bunch of times. Um, yeah, I would uh, like that, but yeah, um, they're not, I mean, certainly going forward, um, they are extremely dangerous. Um, 
Zlatan is Zlatan. Um, Romain Alessandrini came back against uh, the Quakes, which is a big deal. Uh, he's an, an excellent player. Um, Chris Pontius is out there. Um, he hasn't been incredibly effective, but he's been a, a piece of the puzzle for them for sure. Um, he one really nice goal for them. Yeah, um, he, he's not doing badly. Um, he's not quite at the heights he was when he first joined the union, but he's you know he's helping. He's he's helping that team out. Um, it's just that when they they're kind of like DC. It's that when you get to the other end of the field, it's a big old mess. Um, and on individual talent, I'd actually say their defense is worse than DC's. Um, it's just that maybe they give a, or maybe they make fewer giant you know, colossal errors. And maybe it's more of a steady stream of smaller errors. Um, (laughs) I, I wouldn't call them trash, but they're, they're not far enough from trash that they should feel comfortable. So the fireworks analogy wasn't as, as cheesy as I admit that it was, uh, it might not be far off. There could be a lot of goals in this game. I'm curious about the squad rotation. We'll see. Um, just because, the World Cup break is over. This game is on short rest. Granted, there are 10 days before the next game, the opener at Audi Field. But um, once Buzzard Point opens, the games come fast and furious for basically the rest of the year. So I'm curious whether we'll see some squad rotation. There are a couple players who might be healthy coming back. Uh, I don't no, think I, Russell Canals think- will start, but he might get into the 18. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, Paul Ariel is going to start. I think Joseph Mora has a good chance to start. I think Ben Olsen is going to start rotating players back in who he thinks are his uh, starters or his starter replacements for players that are going to be coming in uh, in the transfer window. And so I I think those two players will definitely start. And otherwise, I think it's going to be uh, the first team players, the players who are going to start at Audi Field. I, I think I'm going to add in um, because we've seen this rotation before on short rest. Um, I think we might see Junior Moreno uh, start over Durkin. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily calling for that move. Um, if I had to choose the games, it, if you're telling, if you told me that you did, there were there was going to be this rotation between Durkin and Moreno. I actually would have started Moreno against the Revs and then played Durkin at um, StubHub, um, given that the Revs play higher tempo soccer and also that StubHub center's field is famously the maximum allowable dimensions. Um, Durkin's passing range becomes uh, a bigger factor when you give him that much more space to aim at. Um, but, you know, as it, I, I don't think he needs to be rotated. I just have a feeling that Olsen is going to rotate him. And I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing because I don't think Moreno is a, a bad player at all. Um, but yeah, I, I think those, I think I'd add him into Ben's list. Um, sure. I think Maddox, Maddox is still going to start. Um, we've seen him play pretty well, even on short rest like this. Um, yeah. I think Emil Assad, I think we we've learned will not be rotated no matter what happens. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if anything, I think Assad at the end of that game looked riled up like he wanted to play another game right then and yeah. there. And he was like, let's start. We'll do it again. Um, well, and we learned during the last run of congested matches that, that Yamil Assad is going to be on the field unless he is physically dead. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, other than that, 
a lot of it hinges on, you know, is Joseph Mora actually able to play? Um, if so, then yeah, he probably gets rotated in because full, playing fullback is a very demanding job. Um, you, you freshen up where you can. Um, but outside of that, I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't expect to see very much. Um, it would be nice if United found themselves in a position in this game where uh, Russell Knauss could actually get some minutes. Um, but I don't think he's going to rotate in from the start. And so it becomes more of a, um, if DC can get a lead, maybe we'll see him come in for Ariola to keep that injury from becoming worse, something like that. Um, but it's, you know, it's a theoretical, it's not something you can go in the, and tell everybody 100% we're making this sub because what if in the 60th minute you don't have any subs left or some other thing happens and you've got to make other moves. So, um, I'd like to see it, but I don't know that we're definitely going to see it. And that's about all the time we have for that game because there's a whole other topic to t- uh, to discuss, and we will do that right after this. Stick around. It's Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean... Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Wayne Rooney is officially a member of Los Capitalinos. Um, Probably a phrase he hasn't heard before. DC United introduced the former captain of England, Manchester United, Everton, at the museum this afternoon. We were recording on Monday. Uh, Almost everything there is to say about this acquisition has been said in one forum or another, but we won't let that stop us. Damn it. Because we haven't had our say on this particular platform. So let's talk about Wayne Rooney, DC United's brand new number nine. Uh, first off, I think it's, it's clear. He, he played a little coy in the press conference today saying that he and Ben Olsen have definitely agreed on what his position is, but didn't say what it is. He's wearing number nine, uh, he he scored 10 goals as a forward in the first half of last season for Everton before moving to central midfield and not really scoring any goals. Uh, he, he's going to be a forward. We don't have to spend any more time on that, right? 
I mean, I'm not convinced he's definitely going to be a forward. Okay, let's um, spend more time on it then. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, it's definitely a strong possibility. I just don't think it's a given um, because you have Darren Maddox playing really well. Um, you have the possibility of playing four four two with the two of them as a pair. Uh, the possibility of playing him underneath, um, and you know, Luciano Acosta, as talented as he is, hasn't quite played as well as Maddox. Hasn't quite played as well as Assad, um, and can't really play on the right. So he might run into it. You know, it's it's not, I I can't bring myself to rule out the possibility that it's Acosta ending up on the bench instead of Maddox. I still, I mean, it is most likely just going to be playing him as a forward and it's going to be this, the simplest solution possible. Um, we also yeah, my, might see a little toggling. Um, yeah. I don't think he'll be playing. I, I don't think he'll be playing a, in a deeper midfield role like mm-hmm. he did uh, at the end of his time at Everton. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, not going to take over the eight from Paul Ariel. That's not happening. <laughs> uh, I think whether he plays as a, as a lone forward, which I'm a little bit hesitant about, or uh, as a second forward, which I think suits him better. I, I think he will be at least notationally a forward. And I don't think that, yeah, I, I think that's relatively uncontroversial. Yeah. And, and the, the good thing about that is that, if you're playing that four four two, you can easily the difference, especially in attacking phases. If he's a second forward and he drops off, the difference between that and um, four two three one is not really that great. Um, it, it's almost semantics. Um, and the, you know, it, I think Olsen is more about fluidity this year than in years past. Um, so it might be four four two defensively. And then going forward, it might resemble a lot of what we see right now because what we see right now is pretty decent going forward. This team is not bad at attacking. Um, and if they can improve that, if they can find a way to you know, insert Rooney to the lineup without really losing anything in the process and gaining the good stuff that he does bring, then um, there's not really too much to complain about. And if you play out of a 4-4-2 defensively, it's always been... Um, one of the more simple uh, formations to defend out of. There's a reason why you see a lot of teams end up in that structure defensively, no matter what their attacking formation ends up being. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is most likely Wayne Rooney playing forward. Um, it's just, I do think there's a chance that he's playing more as a 10 um, than, uh, you know, ironically enough than as the nine that he, uh, the Jersey number he took. So uh, I want to get into a little bit the the flavors of four four two that United could play. I I think especially at the current moment when there are three healthy center backs, one of whom is needed at right back. Uh, I I think the chances of Ben Olsen shifting to a a three back system are even lower than they normally would be, which they're normally pretty low. Um, so so I think a four, four, two or some variant thereof is probably the most likely way to fit him onto the field, especially with Darren Maddox playing at possibly the highest level of his career right now. Uh, it's hard to take him off the field, um, when he's scoring and contributing otherwise, uh, off the score sheet, the way he is. So I I do want to explore some of the four, four, two variations because Ben Olsen has tried to use a diamond, 
four four two or a four one three two if you don't want to call it a true diamond in the past um MLS and, and the U.S. has a long history with an empty bucket, 442 or 4222, if you want to call it that. Both the diamond and the, the empty bucket, uh, as compared to the flat 442, use non traditional wide midfielders, which probably suit uh, at least Yamil Assad, but maybe also Zoltan Stieber better than the traditional 442 might, I would say where they, they have more license to come inside and to play more advanced, uh, at least in the, the empty bucket and in the diamond to play as as more deep-lying central midfielders. Uh, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on, on which variant of the 4-4-2 might best suit United's lineup, uh, especially with Wayne Rooney taking one of the forward spots. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think a diamond might be the best use of the current personnel on this team. I think it gets, uh, it obviously gets Maddox and Wayne Rooney on the field. Uh, Assad is on the field uh, and it gives a nice battle between Ariola, Acosta and Stieber for the, uh, to battle between the point of the diamond and the uh, wide right part of the diamond. Uh, those three players can all battle for those two positions, and I think it allows uh, uh, hopefully Russell Knauss to uh, step into the the deep lying position, and it has the team in its in the best back line situation that they have right now. I mean, for all the problems that they've had with the back four so far this year, a back three would be far worse. They don't have the personnel at all for a back three. Uh, and so they've, they've got to go with a back four. And I think, a a four, four, two diamond gives them, gives them the best way to get Rooney on the field and their attackers on the field while still getting uh, somewhat of a decent, uh, back line. Yeah. I, I kind of find myself drawn to the idea and I, you know, years ago, I, I never would have believed that I would ever say it, but I kind of like the idea of a box midfield um, in, I mean, granted, you know, I don't know that it would work, but um, I don't want to lose what Paul Areola brings running out of the midfield uh, being that um, he's so often that third runner coming through. Um, and I think United's attack has really been, they've really benefited having that run coming in. Um, Emil Assad isn't going anywhere. You've got to find a lineup that works for him. That's actually my biggest problem with any back three suggestion is that as soon as you do that, you meet, you, you're either asking Assad to play a role that he's not that good at, or you're dropping him. And I don't think either of those is a good idea. Um, yeah. But uh, if you're playing Ariola and Assad um, underneath Rooney and Maddox, um, there's the, because of Rooney's ability to float around and play all those different positions that he's played in his career, um, you have the real possibility of being really difficult to game plan for because, you know, Rooney, may, maybe this game he floats out wide right for a while um, for, for most of the time, but then is still getting in and getting in his um, uh, runs as a second forward. Um, and then the next game, maybe he's playing underneath. And the third game, maybe he starts out on the left but cuts in at the last moment. You know, that you, you can really confuse teams quite a bit. Um, and I think Ariola and Assad could play off of that pretty well. Um, so I, th- I think that's something that should be on the, on the table at least. And, um, you know, underneath the, I think a, um, 
I still want to see this combination of Canals and Durkin together, um, where Durkin is more deep-lying playmaker and Canals is more defensive midfielder, and you let um, you know you let Durkin do the stuff that he's really good at, which is that uh, distribution, um, and you let Canals do the stuff that he's really good at, which is the more traditional defensive midfield stuff. Um, on paper, I think it could work really well. I don't, I don't expect yeah. Wilson to suddenly go to a box midfield. Um, I don't even know that I'm 100% sure he's even going to switch out of the current formation as is. Um, but if you are going to play, if you start with the assumption that Rooney and Maddox as a, as a duo is what you're going to do, um, then I think your next step has to be, okay, how do we also incorporate Assad? Um, you're going to need at least one defensive midfielder. The team doesn't have proper wing backs, so you've got to play a back four. You start to narrow things down pretty quickly. I think, you know, Ben's diamond suggestion also um, has a lot of possibilities. I think the only thing that holds you back with a diamond is that um, it there's a lot of evidence that it just takes a long time to get a diamond right. Um, yeah. And United you know, when you spend the kind of money that they've spent on Wayne Rooney and you've made this big splash um, with the stadium at the same time, I don't know that they're going to be looking at solutions that might pay off in 2019. I think they're going to put as much effort into a playoff spot in 2018 as they can until it becomes obvious that they can't make it. I think they're going to keep plugging away at that. Um, And so I don't, I don't know that we'll see anything more complicated than a, you know, the choice between a flat four four two or empty bucket four four two. I think it might not get more complicated than that if we see four four two at all. Yeah, I do think the the box is more likely the empty bucket box midfield, um, some variant of that that has the the wider players more advanced and pinched in. Uh, I think that is the most likely scenario out of the gate. Uh, what ahead. I'd throw in is that if. Um, if they want to go empty bucket, um, then you still run into the problem they've already got, which is they need better fullbacks um, because ultimately you still need that extra yeah. width. And the fullbacks so far this season haven't really provided it. So um, I think no matter what Olsen intends to do, I don't know what his plan A, his plan B, his plan C are, but I can guarantee you that if the fullback situation isn't addressed, they aren't going to a, a work well enough that it's going to change United's fate. One thing I do want to say on the, the fullbacks is they, they both got forward pretty well. And even on the left, O'Neill Fisher did an okay job once he got into <sighs> actually getting forward into the opponent's half and the attacking third, even into the box. I have um, nothing good to say about O'Neill Fisher. Uh, he, he had some good moments with the ball at his feet in the attack. Uh, and Jalen Robinson even got forward, which uh, I wasn't. I have many good things expecting. to say about Jalen Robinson. <laughs> Um, but there's, there's less help defensively, which is where the issues are when you play a box midfield or a a diamond midfield, they're kind of on an Island out wide defensively and, uh, with isolation and overloading aside, becoming more and more of a, a tactical theme throughout soccer in the world. Um, that's, that's going to be an issue. Let's just get Jonathan Bornstein. (laughs) I mean, I mean, we should spend money only, on a fullback. I'm only half Rather, joking. Yeah, I know. That's that's um, the thing. Yeah, like the the main issue here is that United needs 
for for any of these formations, and even if they don't change formation at all, they still need better fullbacks than they have anywhere. It's not the injury things are not going to – the injury concerns right. are not going to fix that. Um, no. They need to be looking for players of the caliber of Columbus's fullbacks. I know I keep coming back to them, but um, I think that's really the standard they should be aspiring to. They should be trying to find someone like Harrison Offal or like Milton Valenzuela or like both of them. Um, they should be trying to get guys that can really add to the attack yet also do a really good job when they have to defend They they don't make the big mistakes that we keep seeing, um, guys that can add a little more to the attack than, than Nick Dalio. And that can be maybe more of a, a threat with their speed. Um, you know, things like that, you know, the, the upgrades need to come at that position, regardless of what the Rooney solution is, um, formation wise, it's. It's a thing that has to happen regardless. Uh, I want to talk about the press conference today uh, briefly. Wayne Rooney seems to be saying a lot of the right things. He, he, he's been following the team in the league, I guess, mm-hmm. s- at least for several months, at least this season, if not since he was approached by DC United last summer. Uh, he, he says he, he, he's coming here to win and he, his manner seems very genuine. I've not seen a lot of interviews with Wayne Rooney in the past. I'm, I I was not a big Manchester United follower or Everton follower uh, or even England follower. So I I hadn't seen a lot of him speaking. I was a little disappointed that he, he doesn't sound like the character based on him on special one TV. Um, uh, he he comes across. He sounds more like pretty, a real human than uh, David Beckham. It's true, <laughs> that is very true. Uh, and he also sounds genuine in in this yeah. press conference. It, it doesn't sound like he's rehearsed. It sounds like he's honestly thinking about the questions and giving his his honest responses, which is number one, good and refreshing to see. Uh, and and number two, it means I believe what he's saying when he says that he wants to come here and and be the player he's been and win soccer games and win more than games. And that's, that's something that's good to see. Jason Levian indicated this is the first step, which if Wayne Rooney is the only signing you're making this summer or the only improvement you plan on making over the next year, that's a big problem. If he is the first step, if he's the Jason worth, which is the analogy we've, we've a lot of commenters have made on black and red United, um, the Jason worth, was a guy the nationals overpaid for to be to as a statement I'm of intent that they are legitimate players. I understand Jason. You just earmuffs. What's what's a baseball. He's a guy. All right. So if Wayne Rooney is the guy you sign to show the world that you are a legitimate contender for signings, then it's worth overpaying for him. Um, yes. If he helps you on the field as well, obviously. Uh, and that seems to be the direction Jason Levian and Dave Casper are are thinking in this, at least in their public statements. And if that's the case, then this is a much better signing than it is on an island. Um, well, he's already helping the uh, the academy players. He's already yeah. telling them that they should uh, finish their runs and uh, exert it all in uh, training. And just that level of professionalism in uh especially even in a training where there aren't the rest of the professional team, but even when the rest of the professional team comes back, that is 
invaluable in of itself. And I think he's going to be, he's going to contribute well on the field too, but just the professionalism he brings off the field is going to be worth a lot of money. Yeah. It's a, it's a change in standard. Um, I think that's a good, Ben brings up a pretty good anecdote that, that, um, that Rooney himself mentioned in the press conference, you know, um, this is, you know, Rooney and Opare and the Academy players doing a training session. It's a hundred degrees out and Rooney is still out there, um, urging the, urging the Academy kids to give it their all, but it's not just him yelling at kids. Um, there was also a, a tweet going around from one of the Academy players where, um, one of them mentioned that oh, they yeah. thought they, they really liked Rooney's shoes. And so Rooney was like, I'll, you know, have them cleaned up and you can have them. Um, which is pretty, you know, it, it's it's kind of the the two sides of that coin. Where for those kids, that's invaluable um, to have yeah. a training session with Rooney, where he's out there and he's on them um, to meet the standard that he sets for himself. Um, and for the guys in the team that are maybe frustrated with how things are going, or um, that maybe don't have the best training habits, I haven't heard any specific rumors of anybody having bad training habits. But if there is someone on the team that has them. Um, if Rooney's out there um, hassling the academy kids to to finish their sprints at top speed, then uh, you can bet that his teammates are going to hear it from him as well. Um, the coaching staff is going to be told, um, you know, that th- there's a certain standard that needs to be um, that he's going to expect from everybody. I guess is the is the summary of what I'm trying to get at is that um, he has expectations that things are going to be a certain way. Um, because he's played at that high level for so long and he's not going to, he doesn't seem like me the kind of player who's just going to show up and accept if it's not, you know, to contrast with one of his um, peers with England, um, Steven Gerrard went to the galaxy. And when it was apparent that the galaxy just weren't very good, there's maybe not that intense drive to say like, this is unacceptable to me. Um, which doesn't appear the case with uh, Zlatan, who I'm sure is just yelling at anyone that he thinks is not doing a good enough job to meet his standards because that's that's Zlatan. Um, and I think, I, I hope, quite frankly, that Rooney is more towards the Zlatan end of the, the um, you know, being a demanding teammate. Um, not in a bad way, not in a negative way, but um, holding everyone at the team to be their best, the best version of themselves. Um, and to get that level of competition in training up um, because you can show up and just coast. Like he has the, the option of showing up, training hard for himself and then going home and that's it. Um, or he can really integrate himself in the team. And, you know, one of the first things he talked about was that the team needs to improve. I think I'm reading from the quotes from today's press conference. And I believe the second sentence or I'm sorry, the third sentence out of his mouth is obviously we're a young team and we need to improve. Um, that's good. That's what you want to hear is that he's not talking about the stadium or this and that. He says, you know, um, you know, it's a nice uh, a nice league to join, but obviously we need to improve. Like it's the first thing on his mind is is the standings, um, and that's what you want. It's not about a new project or. Um, Beckham used to always talk about trying to get soccer off the ground in in the United States. Like we had no soccer until he walked through the door. Um, this is different. This is like, uh, my team isn't doing very good and I don't like it. 
Uh, I want my team to do a good job and, and win games. Uh, so that's what we need to get started on. Um, that's, that's a positive, I think in, in, from the personality side of things, it's, it struck me as someone who is determined to win soccer games. And, you know, we've talked about, we've actually put, um, a story on our site, um, by our good friend, Kim McCauley about how Rooney might have too many games on his legs to make a, a big difference at this level, um, in a league like MLS with the travel and all that. Um, but, you know, we don't know about that, but we can start to judge a little bit on personality. And it looks like he's got the right mindset for the responsibility he's going to have being this massive, uh, massive outlay of money um, and being the, you know, he's the face of the team now, um, which we haven't had in a while. I mean, for the longest time, the face of the team has still been Ben Olsen. Um, and, you know, no disrespect to the guys on the roster, but Olsen's still around here the most until Rooney was signed. Olsen was the most famous DC United person in this area until now. Um, and so that changes things too. And how it all turns out, I guess we'll find out. So strap in. Uh, anything else you guys want to hit on the topic of Wayne Rooney before we call it a night? Uh, I, I want to point out uh, that Rooney's suit uh, was extraordinarily well tailored and I didn't like he walked up and I realized it at first when he walked out on the stage. Um, but it was really when, when we did the mix zone um, after that, where you saw him uh, standing next to some other people in expensive suits and you could see the difference in his suit to their suit. And it was kind of like, okay, these guys have nice suits, but they still look like bums compared to Rooney's suit. So whoever he has making his suits, wherever they get the material from, those guys are good at what they do. And if you've got, I don't know how much money it would cost. Um, like, I don't know. It's, it sounds like they have nice store-bought suits and he has a nice tailored suit. No, yeah, I, mean, they I, have- I will say, I will say the English tend to wear suits, and, and this is true of Europeans in general, their suits tend to be better tailored uh, than American suits most of the time. Uh, who was it? There was an English player DC United drafted a couple years ago, and he was wearing this like full wool suit. In, oh, uh, was this Dan Stratford? No, I, no? I don't think it was Dan Stratford. I think it was another or, um, English English kid. Mm. Uh, maybe it was. I don't know. He was from he was from the north too. I, I I don't remember if he was from Liverpool, but he was from the northern part of England, and he was wearing a a full on wool suit that was really well tailored and and looked fantastic on him. He was probably the best dressed draftee that day, um, which is saying something. And I, I think it's just that that on the other side of the Atlantic, they they tend to wear the other side of the North Atlantic. Was it, I should was say it they Paul they Klaus? wear better suits. It was Paul Klaus. Yeah. That's who it was. Um, he had a yeah, really I, good suit that day. I, I I think some of it is just like I I don't want to talk about it too much, but it was it was a remarkably well tailored suit. Um, uh, that and and I also note um from behind the scenes that. Uh, Rooney doesn't have a big entourage. I thought we'd be seeing like many handlers and um, publicists and this and that. But uh, after all was said and done and he and his group uh, were were on their way out waiting for the elevator, his group consisted of him, 
his agent and two other dudes that had just appeared to be his friends. And they, you know, kind of function as handlers, but they don't make a big deal out of it. They were quiet and, and polite to everybody, um, which is not, I'll be honest, is not what I expected. I kind of expected something akin to the, I mean, I can only imagine the number of people that were around when Beckham was signed with LA. It was More like entourage. <laughs> yeah, it was probably like a full bus of various handlers and stylists and what have you. Um, and he did not have that. Um, and he didn't seem, you know, he didn't seem uncomfortable, but he also didn't seem like so, like it just would have been like, oh, what do I have all these people around for? This is ridiculous. Um, so that struck me as something kind of remarkable after the fact was that uh, this isn't a a player with the. Uh, the attendant problems that come with even anytime you hear about an athlete that has a gigantic entourage of people, you always hear other stuff. And some of it is not fairly reported, obviously. Um, but you still, you know, you start to get a little curious about someone who needs 20 different people to handle all the things happening around them. And for him, it was just, I'm going to go talk at this press conference and then I'm going to go, um, do whatever it is he did with the rest of his day. There was some other media stuff he had to do. Um, and uh, then probably do some more uh, more work. Uh, it seemed like mostly he's like, all right, I have to get this media stuff out of the way and then back to work, which is soccer, um, which I think is, uh, again, it's, it's what you want to hear at this point. We have no reason to be um, upset or suspicious at that. Uh, he hasn't given, a, given us any reason to be suspicious since he arrived, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I think that's right. Ben, anything else before we get out of here? No, I'm just glad for Rooney to be here and glad for his professionalism, and I'm happy to see where it goes. Yeah, I think we're on the optimistic side. I'm definitely on the optimistic side. I think he's going to be very productive on and off the field, Um, and obviously I hope that bears out. Thank you all for listening uh, this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com. patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially find us on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red U for the website personal twitter accounts i usually say you can just find them but since we don't have a guest this week i'm at the underscore amt jason is at chest rockwell 14 and ben is at bru bromley good job Did I get that right yes nailed it nice work you know this is this is why I get paid the big bucks, right? Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. Ratings and reviews help us. So if you like us, please do that. If you don't like us, don't bother with the ratings and reviews. You don't have to do that. I don't know why you're listening to the show at this point if you don't like us. But if you do like us, help us out. Uh, another way you can help us out is just tell a friend. When you're talking about DC United, mention the show and maybe we'll get a new listener. Uh, Thank you all again for listening for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Ben, you can't keep doing this to yourself. Being the last true good boy online will destroy you. You must stop posting with honor. No.